Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome to a spooky after-party on the Wendigo. I'm joined, as always, by a man who thinks he's invincible, but hasn't met a Wendigo yet. Ryan, what's up? That is accurate. That is accurate. I don't think I want to meet one either after reading all these stories. Yeah, no thanks. And finding out about the Hulk's encounter with one. Mm. We did more when I dug into that comic more. Yeah, uh, all you have to do is... Uh, Expose yourself to gamma rays and you'll be able to beat a Wendigo. Mm -mm. Hulk did not beat the Wendigo. Ain't that some shit? It was like a draw. Wendigo huh. just left. Yeah. It's like, no. screw this noise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, well, I think you... a Wendigo is like a perfect. I mean, I said this before. I think a Wendigo is a perfect villain character because mm -hmm. it's so creepy like the noises that you hear the set it reminds me a lot like i said of the 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 night king and whatever the the white walkers from game of thrones that it gets cold there's like this eerie stuff that goes along with their appearance and they haven't been romanticized or humanized yet they're not misunderstood like a vampire all right you want to tell them what they need to know yeah, you guys know what the deal is. Tell somebody who you think will like the show about it. It's the best way for it to spread. If you want to help us fight our technological overlords, you can interact with the podcast on your platform of choice because that helps it know that it's a good podcast and people should hear it. Absolutely. <laughs> if you guys want to tell us what you want to hear or if you have feedback or you have maybe suggestions on how to do this intro better, we'd love to hear it at crypticpodcast.gmail.com. And all the other relevant links should be in the show notes. We're on a lot of social media platforms, and we're hawking our own merch over at CrypticPodcastStore.com. And in the links in the notes, you'll be able to find the link for Buy Me a Coffee. And when I say me, I mean probably Ryan, because I really don't drink coffee. But, you know, if you don't want to spend the money in the store, but you want to help us out a little bit, that would be greatly appreciated, because while we're giving this away free... We are paying for subscription services to recording places and uh, apps and, you know, for the actual host. So, you know, we're losing money doing this right now. So buy us a freaking coffee, man. All right. What are we talking? I will love you forever. That's right. What are we talking about tonight? Tonight, we are just going to tell some stories about Wendigos. Mm -hmm. So the first one is titled My Experiences with a Wendigo. And this comes from, there's a couple different sources here, but I'll tell you the usernames and where they're from. This one is from our creepypasta on Reddit. And the username is not very catchy. 123QWE806. This is their story. It all started when I was only 12. I was up in a cabin in Arizona with my grandparents. I remember being so excited for being there because I loved exploring the mountains in Arizona. Me and a good friend would always go on our adventures. We would trek through the deep, clay-stained streams. Of course, we were allowed to take a 22 caliber rifle with us. Our grandparents didn't want a mountain lion getting us. Which, personal side note, it's better than a sharp stick, but I don't think I'd want to go up against a mountain lion with a 22. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> give me a, give me a bullpup you know 12 shot shotgun and i'll be sad i've got a 357 for that yeah but man that, they that bounce around and they jump and that's true yeah it, you're probably gonna miss but yeah. anyway <laughs> maybe the sound will scare them but i don't even like a 22 oh, even the rifles are quiet so uh, anyway go ahead right. sorry i remember also taking our atv to certain fishing spots and catching trout we would cook up the trout and have ourselves one heck of a meal now, some of the things we did weren't the smartest. One day, me and my friend decided that we would take his brother and his friend and us on a tube ride. Now, this is all quoting this story, so... Yeah, what's if, a tube the, ride? Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm hoping inner tubes on a river. I It appears to be inner tubes, yeah. Okay. Our little journey was only supposed to be a short... Uh, I was supposed to be short down the brook. We gathered each other up, excited to go. Our parents and grandparents watched us as we left the main area. We were all just enjoying ourselves. It was like our own lazy river, but more beautiful. 
We looked around and were amazed at all the beauty that surrounded us, the calmness of the water, the smell of the pine trees. We began to notice that the river was getting a little faster. At first, this didn't phase us. We thought, well, what do you expect? It is a brook in the mountains. We were wrong. So wrong. Suddenly, the water began to thrash, going faster and faster. The first thing we thought was, we need to save the young ones. We tried getting as close to each other as we could. Grab my hand. I shouted to my friend's brother. We were all terrified. The adrenaline was rushing through us at the speed of light. Everything was getting so fast-paced it was hard to concentrate. Luckily, we finally grabbed each other's hands and locked them together. After five more minutes, we hit calm water. Thank God, we all said in a relieved tone. We were all dizzy and sick because the raft spun around very fast. We suddenly hit an area in which the water became still. Me and my friend decided to have the kids hold our rafts and then swim them along to the bank. When we reached the bank, one of the kids was exhausted. We were all exhausted. We were also lost. I told my friends not to worry. We still had an hour of light left and all we had to do was follow up the stream. We began to walk as the sun set behind the large mountains. My friend's brother's friend began to cry. We started asking him why he was crying. He just pointed at a footprint. This footprint was very large. I assumed it was of a mountain lion. I said we need to be very loud, try to talk. We want to scare them away, make them think we know they are there. We all had loud discussions as we walked back. Time went on and one of the kids became very ill very quick. I knew being the biggest in the group I had to carry him. I brought him up on my back and could only hold him for five minutes at a time. It began to grow darker and darker. Soon we saw a road. We were all excited because we knew we were almost there. After about ten more minutes we made it back to the cabin just as the sun set. When we entered we could hear each other's grandparents and parents fighting. It was disrupted when we came in because they were all relieved to see us. My friend's mother quickly grabbed her son with no questions and brought the boys home. When they left, I didn't dare to question what happened. I sat down as dinner was ready. We all sat at the table very quiet. It was spaghetti tonight. My grandmother made the best spaghetti. She would season it just right, making it a bit southernly by making it extra spicy. After eating her delicious meal, I took a bath. I enjoyed myself. I even looked out the window and saw a bunch of elks. I think it's elk. I was very tired at this point. It is elk. Yeah, you're right. But that would not that would not be true to the story. True. I was very tired at this point and went to my little room to sleep. I began to dream. I remember seeing myself on the patio in the dark, rocking back and forth on the rocking chair. It all started out feeling quite peaceful. I was listening to the crickets chirp and the sound of the frogs. I then tried to get up out of the rocking chair to go inside. To my horror, I couldn't move. I kept rocking. Suddenly, a figure started to emerge. This figure was very dark. At first, I couldn't make out what it was. All I could see was that it was a bit larger than a normal man. As it got closer, its form started emerging. I saw two large antlers, long crooked legs and long arms. I wanted to scream. I wanted to cry and run. I couldn't do any of this. I was completely paralyzed. It got closer and closer, and to my horror I could see what it really looked like. It looked like a rotting deer in the shape of a man. Its skull was exposed and moss and gore all over its huge body. It just stared at me. It began to speak. No need to be, no afraid. Need to be, afraid. be afraid. It said in a demonic tone. It then reached out and touched me. I woke up and screamed. A puddle of sweat surrounded my body. My grandparents rushed to my room to see what was happening. I tried to explain to them what I saw, how it felt. We all shook it off as one bad dream. For years I didn't think about it, as at the time I thought it was just a bad dream. Well one day I was browsing through the internet and found a creepypasta. This creepypasta was called a Cabin Fever. I remember talking about a figure that looked exactly like what I saw in my dream. I was terrified by this. I began to research about this creature. I found out through some sources that it was being called a Wendigo. The origins were of a cannibalistic creature that was a story passed down by Native Americans. I searched up about these dreams and found out I was not the only one who had these dreams. The next few weeks after finding that out got weird. I had constant dreams of me in the woods alone. 
I never saw anything. I was always just completely away from any person or thing. The only weird part was that no matter how empty it was, I always felt like there was something else there with me. I decided to think nothing of it. I thought, what could be the worst that happens? It's just a dream. It's all a dream. That was stupid thinking on my behalf. I wish I could have known better. Well, one dream really hit me. It was in a specific place in a forest. But this time I recognized this forest. It was deep in the woods in my backyard. Again, I was alone, but felt even more of a presence. I felt as if I needed to visit this place. I felt almost as if there was some real importance to going there. The next day I decided to go to this place alone. Silly of me, I know. Why go to some creepy place in the woods alone? Well, truth be told, I didn't have many friends and I felt no one would understand the importance. I began to trek through the woods. I got deeper and deeper into the forest. After a while, I felt as if I was being watched. I felt eyes piercing my back. I felt a presence in the woods. I began to get very scared. I wanted to run back, but my curiosity was getting the best of me. I made it to the area I saw in my dreams. It was just a small clearing in the forest. Nothing seemed to be there. No footprints, no broken branches, no signs of anything being there. I didn't understand. I felt a weird energy, though. It was as if something had been there. I decided to leave the area. That's when I heard it. A crack in the forest. It was behind me. I turned around and saw it. The same creature I saw in my dream. It was there, just standing. We looked at each other for what felt like hours. It didn't move. It just stood. I wanted to scream, but I knew I shouldn't. I just slowly began to back away. The creature began to walk towards me. I knew that I needed to run. I turned around and began to sprint. I heard it running after me, branches breaking as it came. I finally made it out of the forest and ran back to my house. I locked all the doors and closed all the blinds. I didn't dare to look out the windows. I didn't know what to do. I was terrified and alone. It's been a week now. I haven't seen the creature since that day. I haven't gone back into the woods and I don't plan on it. I hear things at night though. I hear what sounds like walking around my house. Sometimes I hear a faint voice calling my name. I don't know if it's real or if it's my imagination. I do know one thing, however. That thing, the Wendigo, it's real. I've seen it with my own eyes. I don't know what it wants or why it's after me, but I hope that I never have to see it again. Next story after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. Alright, this next story was just titled Wendigo, and it was originally written in the style of, like, a 4chan post. You know, be me, be this old, do this, go here, that kind of thing. So I've rewritten it into more of a narrative that would be a little easier to follow. Sounds good to me. But the story was originally posted by the Unholy Angel 101, again from Reddit's Creepypasta subreddit. In a bout of adventurous spirit, I agreed to join my friends on a camping excursion. We were all buzzed with excitement as I packed my gear and joined them. With our backpacks hoisted, we set off into the heart of a dense, shadowy forest. Our campsite was an isolated clearing, enclosed by looming trees and wrapped in a silence so profound it felt like a harbinger of the unexpected thrills to come. As daylight faded and the forests were shrouded in night, we erected our tents and ignited a roaring bonfire. Surrounded by darkness, we shared spine-chilling tales, a perfect prelude to a night in the wild. But our merriment was punctuated by odd, eerie sounds from the woods, causing an unease that we tried to dismiss with bravado. Curiosity peaked, one of my companions proposed we explore the dark woods, despite a lingering reluctance. I followed, venturing into the forest's menacing depths. The strange noises grew louder with every step, and a pervasive feeling of being watched crept over us. In an abrupt halt, cold dread washed over me. There, amidst the trees, stood a wendigo. 
its eyes a malicious glow in the obscurity. Panic overtook me and I fled, the forest transforming into a labyrinth of fear, its paths twisted and alien. In my frantic escape I stumbled, and darkness consumed me. I awoke in a dim room with the distorted calls of my friends outside. Something was amiss. Their voices were wrong, their silhouettes misshapen against the walls. Stepping out to a world altered by fright, I saw them changed, grotesque versions of themselves, with glinting eyes and discordant voices. I retreated into the distorted woods, now a malevolent entity, branches reaching out to snare me as I ran. Driven by sheer terror, I eventually emerged into a vast clearing where the Wendigo loomed once more. I ran, but the forest seemed boundless, the nightmare unending until I collapsed, my last vision a dark whisper before fading to nothingness. I awoke to my friends' voices, now hunting for me, claiming they too were pursued. I rushed to them, but their figures blurred and vanished into the dark. Newman, my dearest friend, met a gruesome end before my eyes. In desperation, I found refuge in a ramshackle shack with the remnants of my friends, their forms now hideous parodies. My sanity frayed, I demanded they reveal themselves, threatening violence amidst their unsettling calm. When dawn broke, all had disappeared. Alone, I called into the void, met with silence. The forest whispered its secrets, but my mind could no longer discern them. Seeking escape, I stumbled upon a car and hitchhiked to a sheriff's cabin, empty and forsaken. There I found a journal detailing the sheriff's investigations into the supernatural afflictions of the forest. It spoke of a ritual to banish the darkness. Resolved to confront this evil, I gathered the needed items and recited the ritual at a sacred site. The forest responded with a violent energy, but then peace ensued. The sheriff appeared, apparently rescued from a parallel realm by my actions. Together we reported the horrors to the authorities, the nightmare seemingly over, yet the scars remained as a testament to the darkness lurking in the unexplored corners of our world, ever waiting to ensnare the unwary. Alright, this one is from Our Paranormal. Now, the Paranormal subreddit is not necessarily for fake stories. Creepypasta is, mm -hmm. for sure. But the user is a very stylized way of writing it, but it's Bacon Beatdown, which is a great username. <laughs> <laughs> I like it a lot. I've been debating on sharing this story with anyone outside of my small circle of people that were there, but I want to share my experience in hopes that it saves someone's life or to give understanding of what someone else has experienced. Late fall 2010. In northern Canada, I went deep into the wilderness with my father and my eldest brother to hunt for moose. We left in the early morning, just before the sunrise, trying to cover as much distance as possible before nightfall. We traveled winding rivers and had to repeatedly portage over rapids all day. We decided to set up camp just over halfway to our destination. My father figured that we'd make the rest of the journey tomorrow. Well, when everyone bedded down for the night, I decided to go grab some firewood and relieve myself down by the bank of the river, just out of reach of the light from the campfire. Out from the tree line, about 15 yards away, I could hear rustling in the bushes. I watched the area where I heard the noise and focused on that spot. I felt kind of funny, dizzy or lightheaded, and I could smell this putrid stink, like old milk or rotten food. Then I saw the trees start to morph and move ever so slightly, and began to take the shape of a head and slight facial features. My eyes began to adjust to the darkness, and along the tree line I could hear this voice coming from there. I recognized it. The voice sounded like one of my relatives who had recently passed. The face took the shape of my relative. Hello, they said. I've missed you. Come see me. I smiled and stepped forward a bit, but stopped to analyze the situation. My relative's face stopped smiling and became emotionless. The skin began to turn pale and peel away. Chunks of flesh from their cheeks began to fall away and I felt shock and fear overwhelm my body. 
I couldn't make sense of it all, so I started to back away and make my way to camp. I didn't realize at the time that I had been walking towards the voice and I was further away from the firelight. The voice became angry and began shouting at me to come here. So I turned to run away, but as I looked back one more time I saw the most disgusting thing I had ever seen. It was rotting flesh on a gnawed bone, caved eyes in a hollow chest cavity. This humanoid creature was tall and super thin. I ran as fast as I could, trying to yell for help, but the fear had made my voice quiet and raspy. I ran along the riverbank, and I could hear the heavy breaths and the stomping feet from this thing right behind me. I made it onto the top of the riverbank, but it grabbed a hold of my leg as I jumped up. I gripped and tore the grass, trying to lift myself, and yelled as loud as I could. Then finally my voice came back, and I yelled that something has my leg. My brother woke up and ran over to where I was, then he pulled me up and took me over to the fire. I was terrified, trying to explain what I saw, and that it looked like my relative, but not. I was trying to convince them that I wasn't seeing things, but my brother nodded his head and said, I saw it too, I know. That solidified it. He acknowledged that it was real. We stayed up all night after that, rifles loaded and close by. We packed up when the sun was coming up and went back home. We haven't shared that story with anyone out of fear of being labeled as crazy or liars. I've had nightmares and couldn't sleep for months afterwards. I would see things, dark figures, looking into my window or hear whispers when I was walking home at night. Eventually I was seeing this figure daily. I went to medicine men or shaman for help, but I've learned that the ceremonies only relieve it temporarily. Friends have given me everything from protection pouches to certain crystals. I found out that there's a strong possibility that I encountered a Wendigo. I learned that if you encounter one and survive, it attaches itself to you like a parasite. I learned that it can only do this if it touches you, which it did. Ever since that night, I've been on edge when I enter any forest or wooded area, which sucks because I love being outdoors and hunting in nature. Now I always feel like I need to keep my back against something when I'm out in the wild. Anyways, make your own conclusions about this. I've paid a price for being an ignorant child to the stories of old. They are real. I can attest to that. Stay safe, everyone. That's a good story. Alright. Let's talk about Wendigo psychosis after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. So this is a story called Wendigo Psychosis by W.I. Boggs, and this is on Creepypasta. Winter pounded on the door and walls around the wooden shack the men had found and hunkered down in. The small military force was at their wits end and body's end. They were exhausted, soaking wet and low on munitions, rations, and morale. Their survival was based on how much body heat the man next to them was able to produce. They shivered in unison, not a man moving deliberately. It was another of many restless nights for the small company. After hours of the wind and the ice beating at their bodies through the slats in the walls, a freezing but welcome sun rose through the dense and dead forest canopy. The light tapped on Grant's eyelids, and he shot forward to sitting with the jolt. Rogers was the first to break the quiet and simply cussed as loud as his tensed windpipe would allow. The noise was hoarse and shrill among the dead silence in the trees. Shut it, would you? What are you thinking, idiot? Was the response from a more callous than usual, shifty. Breakfast was weak. Stale coffee and scraps of the rabbit the men had used several precious bullets to finally hit and bring down the night before. Their aim was suffering in tandem with their bodies, but they were just happy to have morsels of food to ease their empty stomachs. After the brief and cold breakfast, Erickson shouldered their radio and hiked to the top of a small hill with a clearing to try and get in contact with base camp. Every day for weeks, Erickson had returned to camp from attempting communication a little more defeated than the day before. The group had not heard from base camp for too long now. 
Erickson slumped heavily around the choking fire that sputtered smoke out from hissing cracks in the blackened wood. He did not need to report. The scene did that for him. Shifty scoffed more for the group than for himself, shifted and settled, attempting to find comfort around the fire that was resoundingly defeated by the cutting cold that crushed in from all sides. Grant was fully aware of the situation he and his men were in. They were slowly succumbing to the death of the forest they had found themselves in, and the situation was deteriorating quickly. Freezing and famished, the four men sat lifelessly around the smoldering fire. The only thing that brought comfort with the day's progression were the rays of sun that did find their way through the snaking branches above that warmed the men, and the four positioned themselves as well as they could to be warmed in tandem by the sun and the fire. Soon, starvation drove the men to complete the day. Grant told Erickson to set up another deer trap near a river they had scoped out in days prior and told Rogers to find his way to the small gully to check the trap there. Shifty and Grant pushed farther away from their camp than they ever had to find a gradually dwindling supply of firewood scattered afar and buried in the snow that seemed to fall every night. Even during the day, Grant kept his scarf around his face to keep the biting cold away from his lips and nose. Erickson set up a new trap. Rogers found that the old trap had not been sprung. The men defrosted the rest of the rabbit and made a weak stew with hardly enough meat for one man. They ate in defeated silence. Metal clanked upon metal as the men tried to make something edible, both stay in their bowl for more as well as end up in their stomachs. Soon enough, the sparse rays of the sun ducked down under the horizon, and the men moved toward their broken shelter for a form of protection from the elements that the shack could only limitedly provide. Cold, huddled, and starving, Grant tried to get some semblance of sleep. Every time his eyes felt heavy enough to sleep, wind would batter the wooden walls and shake the entire structure. It began to snow again, and small white frozen teeth floated in between the slats, biting the men every time one would contact any open skin it could find. It was a night no less miserable than the night before, and soon Grant drifted off into a restless sleep. In the morning, Grant's eyes shot open and his body shocked him awake. Shifty rolled over, finding a better sleep than Grant had. Grant stumbled as he stood. Hunger pangs tore at his stomach as he stretched his already thin figure to its full height. As he stepped outside of the small shack, the white world he was expecting was violated by one of red. Blood drenched the tree branches and snow. Eviscerated and unrecognizable flesh were splattered from the epicenter, a torn body that lay on top of where the fire had been the night before. Grant froze mid-step. He had seen his fair share of war out here, but this was an animalistic scale of gruesome. Without moving his eyes from the gore in front of him, Grant began to bark at his men inside the shack to come see the carnage. Shifty emerged first and was caught in the middle of a hearty yawn by the scene, his jaw locked open in a half-yawn, half-appalled expression. Rogers and Erickson both vomited. Grant moved in toward the carcass and examined the body. What was left must have been a deer with holes bored through the body. Two legs were missing, and Grant nearly gasped as he noticed that the eyes had been bitten from their sockets with obvious teeth marks around the divots. But the bite marks did not end there. There were whole chunks of flesh missing from their respective lacerated holes focused around the neck of the animal. Most strikingly, the horns had been removed with great force, seemingly ripped from the skull instead of broken off. The deer was more blood and gore than fur and skin. Erickson vomited again. What the hell is this? Roger's voice broke as he scrambled to find it. Screw that. What the hell could do something like this? Erickson was more frantic than Roger's. He was the youngest of the group, and it showed in the horror on his face. You're both morons. A predator must have taken this down and just happened to have dinner at our camp. Why are we so shocked? Shifty was significantly more cynical once he found his footing. There's no animal that kills and consumes like this, Grant said. See? A bear's teeth would have left a longer bite along here, and a mountain lion would have sliced the throat to take the kill. 
The throat doesn't look severed, and any predator would eat more than this. Judging by the missing extremities, this seems like a murder more than a hunt. The men stood in solemn muteness between what was left of the deer in their shack and a broken display of defense. It was silent, except for the whistling of the wind and the rumbling of brittle branches above. The carcass's blood was frozen to the ground and trees and had begun turning a deep red color. We shouldn't waste the excess. What? Erickson was stunned. There's a lot of food here. We should preserve it and discard everything else as far away from camp as we can. Don't want whatever this thing is to come back, Grant said. This made sense to the group, and even more so as Erickson felt his stomach rumble yet again. And so, the men set to work, preparing, sanitizing, and disposing until their camp was yet again devoid of splattered gore. They cooked the excess meat and buried it a fair distance from camp, keeping more than enough for a fair dinner for each of them. They disposed of the bones and skin, but Grant could not shake the thought of those missing antlers from his mind. At any rate, they had food enough for the rest of the day and through the day tomorrow. Maybe this killer had done them a favor, and yet something was not sitting right with Grant. At day's end, the men huddled again in the small shack, but now each with a full belly. Though the wind and snow beat at the men through the night, they were able to make it easier while being full for the first time in weeks. Each of the company slept as well as they had that night. In the morning, Grant jumped awake again, startling himself to a sitting position. After looking around a little longer, he rubbed his eyes and rose to exit the shack. By the time Grant had rekindled the fire, Shifty, Erickson, and Rogers had all awoken and come out to enjoy the slowly diminishing supply of deer meat that had been so graciously given to them. Erickson rose. He shouldered the radio and hiked to the top of the nearby hill for his daily dose of disappointment. He dropped the set and pulled the antenna and repeated, Base camp, do you copy base camp? Defeatedly into the microphone. Base camp, do you copy base camp? Erickson dropped his head between his knees when a static began to crackle over the microphone. Find, where are, copy. Erickson's legs excitedly slipped out from underneath him and he fell on his back. He scrambled to his feet and began yelling into the microphone. Base camp, we hear you base camp. We need immediate evacuation. Good, hear you too. Are too thick, so your company needs. 22 kilometers west. We can evac there. Try to find communication point. It's hard. The message was broken, but overflowing with hope. Erickson shouldered the radio and scrambled back down the hill to report the good news. The men packed what little supplies they had, unearthed the small amount of deer meat left underground, and set off west. Going was slow. The snow that seemed to never melt here was up to the men's thighs. Each man took a turn in front to clear the snow, rotating through to conserve energy for the group as a whole. Being at the front of the caravan was exhausting, but between the four tired but able-bodied men, it was not impossible. When the sun began to set in front of them over the horizon, they went out of their way to find shelter. Shifty called out when he found a small overhanging rock that could accommodate the four of them. Grant, Erickson, Rogers, and Shifty all pushed themselves inside of the small cave. Grant distributed the remainder of the deer meat. It had lasted less than he had anticipated, and he found himself going to bed hungry that evening, as did the other men. Morning found them shivering, and Grant was startled awake. Without a wall for their shelter, the frozen wind beat in from that side. The men had put the legs of their sleeping bags toward the opening, but it did not help. The three men shifted outside of their shelter. Grant looked around. Erickson moved with Rogers to collect firewood, a chore they had neglected to do the night before. Suddenly, Shifty's absence was a glaring presence among the men, and they all froze where they stood. Grant daringly called out, Shifty, and was met with no response. Not even the wind rattled the branches in the trees above, and the silence was heavy. Grant, matching the silence, whirled around and checked Swifty's sleeping bag. It looked like it had been opened with the zipper as opposed to torn open, but Grant felt a knot of dread welling up inside his gut. Erickson was the most panicked, and his haggard breathing began to become a gulping swallow. 
Grant mentioned to the others to arm themselves. Erickson shook himself and grabbed his handgun. Rogers found two pairs of tracks leading outside of camp and the men did not have to search far. Shifty, or what was left of him, lay in a small clearing crumpled in half. This time, all three men vomited. Grant then went out of his way to wrap his scarf around his mouth and nose and moved to look at what had happened. Shifty had the same wounds as the deer from nights before. His body was folded at the base of his spine and bite marks that ripped through his clothes showed the muscle underneath. Scratches covered Shifty's body from head to toe and there seemed to be some holes in the body that were not bite marks, as if you were stabbed with a blunt broom handle. The most notable aberration were Shifty's eyes, or lack thereof. Teeth marks lined his brow and cheekbone, as if the assailant had dragged their jaw over the eyes to remove them. Grant felt himself heave and stumbled backward to a standing position without letting his eyes move away from Shifty's corpse. Sir, do these look like predator bite marks, or like... Erickson did not have to finish his sentence. Telltale flat marks from incisors were all too indicative that this attack was human, not bear or cat. Realization hit the group like a wave, and they banded together naturally, back to back, to survey their surroundings. There were no tracks that led away from the scene, nothing to ascertain the size or quality of this attacker. The men quickly dug a small hole to bury Shifty. Grant wanted to do it with honor, but Rogers wanted to keep any scent off of them as much as they could. Keeping in formation, Grant, Erickson, and Rogers moved back to where they had set camp the night before. Grant smothered the fire with a generous pile of snow trying to choke out the smoke as much as he could. They gathered their things and left that place without even eating, simply leaving all of Shifty's gear under the rock except for his firearm, which a paranoid Erickson collected. They moved quickly among the silent woods, each taking a turn at the front of the convoy to break the snow for the others. The silence was beating in on the men. There was not a bird in the trees or a crackle of branches from the wind. If the men wanted sound, they had to make it themselves, and even that was hushed by the snow that surrounded them. The men hiked the whole day without eating, driven by terror and wonder alike. At nightfall, they found two trees that had fallen over each other and used them to make a small shelter. We should have someone watch out in shifts over the evening, Rogers said. It was from a place of terror, but it made sense to the other men, and so when the darkness of the night crept upon their makeshift shelter, Erickson was the first to stay the night awake on watch. Grant felt himself bat his eyes open every several minutes and glance over at Erickson, who sat still but aware, propped up against one of the fallen trees. Gradually, Grant drifted off to sleep, but one that felt deep and dead, and offered little rest. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Grant jolted awake, but this time by terrified yells. He spurred forward and smashed his head on the tree above him. Grant emerged from the shelter, rubbing blood from his sore forehead to find another scene of gore that made the scenes before pale in comparison. He pointed a flashlight around and to where the yells were coming from to find a distraught Rogers knelt at the side of a pile of flesh. Erickson's patch was the only thing that could have discerned what or who this used to be. Erickson was more mutilated than consumed and had numerous holes about his body. His eyes had been eaten out of their sockets, but the rest of him was stabbed and torn and collapsed. Rogers knelt and wailed, facing away from Grant, but Grant quickly scanned down to Rogers' hands, which clutched deer antlers so hard that the blood and pale fingers perfectly matched the blood and snow around them. Rogers wailed again and again, and the noise became more and more animalistic and hoarse with each gut-wrenching bellow. Grant snatched his gun from his side and pointed it at the only other life around them for miles. Rogers? Grant's voice was barely above a whisper. The grunting and distraught bellowing subsided suddenly, and there was silence around them. Rogers? Grant said. Inhumanly fast, Rogers raised one of the antlers and smashed the base of it into his own skull. He took the other 
and in similar fashion jammed a jutting deer horn into his skull. The bones protruded from the bloody holes in Roger's scalp and rose out in non-uniform angles. As Rogers turned, Grant was acutely aware of the blood dripping down his own forehead. What the hell is happening to me? yipped Rogers, but his smiling eyes and mouth bore a vastly different expression to the tone of his voice. There was flesh between his teeth, and blood ran down the sides of his open mouth smile. The lifeless eyes that stared into Grant through narrowed slats seemed excited at the terror unfolding. I'd run if I were you. All right. This story is just titled The Wendigo, and it is from creepypastafandom.com creature from the mythology of Native Americans that lived in the region of the northeastern United States and southeastern Canada. It's born from pure cannibalism and its hunger is never satisfied. There are a lot of stories surrounding the mysterious 13-mile woods of northern New Hampshire. I've heard stories of hunting parties starving out there and resorting to cannibalism. There's no telling what happens out there. This story was told to me by my grandfather who met one of the people involved. The year was 1957. His name was Arnold Watson. He loved to hunt, and he loved even more to take long hunting trips into the woods. Of course, he never went alone. He had a couple of old friends he'd take along, Andy Johnson and Daryl Tremble. He hadn't seen them in years, so they all decided to go on a week-long hunting trip. They packed up all their stuff, hunting rifles, blankets, tents, matches, and a week's worth of ammunition and food. The three of them piled into Arnold's Chevy pickup truck. The ride through the winding dirt roads was long and bumpy. They were deep into the woods now. Then the engine started making clicks and sputtering noises, like it was breaking down. It slowed to a stop. Start, goddammit, said Arnold as he banged on the wheel. Did you fill her up before we left? asked Andy. I must have forgotten. Arnold said as he sighed and sat back in his seat. We might as well make camp near here, but I don't want to get too far from the truck. So they ventured into the woods a bit and found a small clearing near a river where they could set up their tents. It was already getting dark, so they started a fire, had a little something to eat, and went to bed. They slept with their guns at their bedside, just in case. They all slept soundly through the night. Arnold was the first to wake. He stood up and stretched letting out a long yawn. He stepped outside of the tent and rubbed his eyes. He couldn't believe what he was seeing. A bear had come and tossed everything about and eaten almost all of their food. Arnold ran into his tent, grabbed his rifle, and aimed at the bear. His running around had already startled the bear and it had gotten away before Arnold could get a clear shot. Andy, Daryl, get up! Damn bear's gotten all our food! Andy and Daryl scrambled up. What in the hell are you? Daryl stared open-mouthed at the remaining scraps of their food. Most of the shotgun shells had been thrown into the river, and only a few visible shells remained. Holy shit! What are we going to do now? We ain't got nothing! No food, no ammo, no... He was cut off by Andy. Just keep calm, Daryl. I think there's more ammo in the truck. He trailed off. Do you guys remember the way back to the truck? Arnold asked nervously. I think it's this way, or no, this way. Well, it might have been this way, said Andy. Daryl smacked his hand on his face. You ain't got a damn idea what you're talking about. Daryl and Andy both lunged at each other and started wrestling, cursing in between breaths. Hey, 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 stop that. Arnold pulled Daryl off of Andy. We gotta get along. We're in a survival situation now. Ain't no fun and games. We could easily die out here and no one would ever find us. Our best bet would be to follow the river. Maybe we could find a town or a trading post or something. Daryl snapped. A town? Out here? My ass. We're all alone out here. We'll never find our way out. Andy's always been the weak one. Not very surprising that he'd be the first one to break. They wandered along the banks of the river for a bit, cold and hungry. Night came, but they didn't stop. 
Sounds started to come from the woods next to the river, like twigs snapping and leaves crunching. Andy perked right up. What the hell was that? Andy whispered nervously. Probably just a rabbit, you wuss, Daryl snapped. Don't be so worrisome. A couple of minutes passed and Andy sat down to rest. I'll, I'll be just a minute. Go on without me, he panted. You sure? Arnold asked. Yes, I won't be long, Andy assured. So they continued. A blood-curling scream filled the air several seconds later. Daryl! Ah! Help me! The scream cut off quickly to gurgling sounds and sounds of something eating. Arnold and Daryl ran back along the stream, screaming Andy's name. They heard a snarl and saw the silhouette of a tall, thin, snouted figure with something dripping from its mouth. It growled at them loudly and trotted off into the woods. What in the Lord's name was that? asked Daryl. How am I supposed to know? Strike a match so we can find Andy. Daryl struck the match and looked in horror. Andy's mangled remains lay on the ground. His face was half devoured with his skull showing. Blood and flesh covered his face. A whole section was torn out of his chest. His ribs were picked clean. His entrails were out and laying all over him, partially eaten. His thighs were ravaged. There were parts where his bone was showing in his leg. Worst of all, a horrifying expression was displayed on his face, like he was frozen in time as soon as he saw the creature. Oh my god. Daryl started mumbling gibberish, curling into a ball and rock slowly. Why him? Why? He stuttered. Arnold tried to comfort him, but he was hysterical. We gotta keep moving, buddy. We both loved him, but it's done now, and we gotta move on. Daryl cut him off. How could you say that? You act like you don't even care about him. I loved him like a brother. You don't even care. You don't even care, you selfish bastard. Daryl lunged at Arnold's throat. He gripped it tightly against the ground. Arnold struggled to get out of his grip. He kneed him in the stomach, and Daryl fell to the ground. Arnold started pounding him in the face. Daryl was helpless. Arnold picked him up and threw his head against a tree. Daryl slumped to the ground, leaving a thick streak of crimson blood going down the tree. His eyes turned black, and he was crazed with bloodlust. Arnold started chewing Daryl's left arm, but then he snapped out of it. What? What have I done? He looked at his blood-covered hands. He stayed there with the bodies, not sleeping, just sitting with a blank expression, thinking of what he'd done. Eventually, Arnold realized it was his duty to get back to a town and tell people what had happened. He got up and started walking. He walked for hours. Then, the twig snapping came back and the leaves crunching. He felt a warm breath on the back of his neck. He turned around, slowly, and towering over him was the beast. Glowing yellow eyes, antlers, and a body that seemed half-rotted. The ribcage was exposed with rotted flesh in and around it. Blood and flesh dripped from his mouth. His face covered in raw muscle and deep cuts. In areas that weren't rotted like his back and shoulders, were carpeted in short, patchy, light brown fur. One of its arms was completely rotted to the bone. Arnold screamed and ran, but it leapt and tackled. It growled in his face and bit a chunk from his leg. Arnold screamed in agony, trying to escape from under it, and squirmed and kicked until he got free, and tried to start punching it. This only angered it more. It lunged at him again, but this time Arnold moved out of the way, and the beast tumbled into the river. Arnold saw his chance. He tried his best to limp over to the river where it was recovering from the fall. Despite the excruciating pain, he tackled the beast and pushed all his weight onto his head, trying to drown it. It snarled under the water and flailed arms and legs, but Arnold kept his grip. It slowly became weaker and weaker until it silenced completely. Arnold sighed in relief and fell on his back onto the bank of the river. He rested for a while and tried to move on. 
He limped through the woods until morning and found a road. Thank God, he thought. It's almost over. Arnold was on the road for only a short time before a truck came along. It pulled over and the man scrambled out of the driver's seat to help Arnold. Jesus, man, what happened? Arnold replied tiredly. I'll explain. Soon, water, a ride, please. The man looked befuddled. Of course, of course, let me help you into the car. Arnold climbed in and took a big long swig of water from the man's bottle. He told the entire story to the man, the same one we just told you. That man was my grandfather. Arnold was taken to a hospital but died due to an infection in the wound on his leg. Every once in a while, hunters will come back with stories of hearing loud, blood-curdling screams, or similar stories of cannibalistic beasts. Whether they're true or not, there's something lurking in the 13-mile woods. If you ever decide to take a trip there, and you find an old 50s truck or an abandoned campsite, turn back. For God's sake, turn back. And if you don't, God help you. And that about wraps up our Wendigo scary stories. We hope you enjoyed the show. Tell them what they need to know. Yeah, as always, share the show with somebody you think will like it or somebody you think will hate listen to it. Right. (laughs) And let us know if there's something you want us to do in the future. Maybe you want us to use Twitter slash X spaces or something to do a live show or start Mm -hmm. doing more on YouTube or cover specific topics or maybe take lessons in how to pronounce Japanese names. <laughs> Whatever that is, you can let us know at crypticpodcast.gmail.com or on any of our numerous social medias. And you can also uh, check out Buy Me a Coffee and just donate a little money, man. We, uh, we're running on fumes keep the here. lights on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is Jay for Ryan telling you to remember if you're ever in the woods and the birds stop chirping the trees stop swaying there's no crickets run for your life good evening crypt keepers <laughs> <laughs>